0: Good morning. morning. All right. It is good to see all of you today. You look good. You sound good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Today we are moving on to part two of our series that we just started last week called Spiritual Gifts. We are picking up where we left off last week, and that means if you were not here last Sunday, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon. You can go onto our church's website and listen to the audio of it. You can go to our YouTube channel and watch the video of it. But I really think you need to listen to what we said last week um, because it goes along with this week. I guess what I'm saying is this sermon that I'm preaching, I believe that it should make sense on its own but I think it would make even more sense if combined with last week's sermon because that was the intention. Like what I said last week was to to set up for this. And so I hope that you will be able to listen to them both, you know, hear both messages together. So today, our, I'm gonna to read to you our main passage, the main passage that we're going to, we were in last week and next week and this week. It's Romans chapter 12. And for now, I'm just gonna read uh, verses six through eight. Romans chapter 12, verses six through eight. If you were not here last week, this actually will be a little bit of a review because I'm gonna read the passage we read last week and hopefully you will read it and understand it and know a little bit of where we are going. So Romans 12, starting in verse six, it says this. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness." So that is our passage, that's what we started last week, and if you look at it, it says there's different gifts that have been given to us, and if you look at this paragraph, it's interesting, um, there's a lot of words there, but if you isolate the main, like, the main nouns that are in that paragraph, you will get a seven-gift list, right? So it talks about a lot of different things, but if you look at it, there's seven things. When he says, um, when he says according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts, there, there, he then lists... These seven gifts, prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. Um, I'm not saying that that is every single spiritual gift. I'm just saying that is every single spiritual gift in Romans chapter 12. Like in this particular case, when he said we have different gifts, these are the seven that he listed. And so last week I told you we were going to look further into these seven gifts to see what they look like in regular life. And last week I said that this week we would cover three of them, and then the following week we would cover four of them. And so here we are. So the three gifts that I've chosen to cover this week are teaching, exhortation, and prophecy. Okay? We're going to cover teaching, exhortation, and prophecy. And the reason I did this is, first of all, I didn't feel like I could cover it all in one week, and so it's a list of seven. You've got to cut the list in half, but... How do you cut seven in half? So you got to do three and then four. And then I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to decide which ones go with which ones? And I picked these three because I believe they go together in the sense that I think they all, they, all three of these have something in common. I think that you could call these the speaking gifts, okay? The speaking gifts. That is one thing that teaching and exhorting and prophecy all have in common is it is something that you do uh, with your mouth, right? It's something that we do with our words. Now, the order in which I want to cover them this morning is the order they're on the screen, teaching and then exhorting and then prophecy. Now, if you're astute, you may have noticed in the passage that that's not the order they show up in, okay? I'm teaching them in a different order than the way they show up in. And if you're wondering, well, why would you do that? It's because I want to cover them from uh, like easy, medium, hard, okay? I want to cover them for how how difficult it will be for me to explain them. Teaching is going to be the easy one to explain. Let's get that out of the way first. Exhorting is kind of medium. Prophecy is the most difficult one to explain. Let's put that at the end of the sermon. Um, So that's what we're going to do. So this is the order that we are going to cover them in. Um, Let's go. Teaching. So the first one is teaching. And in our passage, he said we all have different gifts. And then the, the part that's about this, it says, if teaching in teaching. So this is really simple. He's saying if your gift is teaching, the area of your life you are to use it in is Teaching. Like this is very simple. Like if you have the gift of teaching, oh, what are you supposed to do with it? Teach. This one's very simple, right? It's a straightforward one. I looked up the Greek word um, that is translated into our English word teach. Apparently it is not a word that's very difficult to translate. It is translated to the English word teach almost every single time you find it anywhere in the Bible. It's just, it's what the word means. It means teach. It means teach every time, almost every time. Um, so let me go ahead and just show you a passage that illustrates this. What is teaching? What does it look like in, in regular life? And so I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, um, Acts 18 verses 24 through 28. I'm going to read you this story. And I guess as I read it, go ahead and pay attention to the number of synonyms for the word teach that you'll see in this story. Acts 18, starting verse 24, a Jew named Apollos a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was powerful in the use of scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. So that's our introductory sentence here, right? So this story that you're about to hear is about a guy named Apollos. He's a Jewish man. He is from Alexandria, and he is apparently good at talking about the Bible. Verse 25. This man had been, what's the word? instructed, that's kind of like, it's a similar word to teach, right? This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and, what's the word? Taught the things about Jesus accurately, although he knew only John's baptism. So you have this guy who's good at talking about the Bible. He has been taught, he has been instructed by someone and now he is teaching and as he teaches, he is apparently teaching, like the, the, the message that he has is accurate, but incomplete. Do you see that? It's accurate. The stuff he's saying about Jesus is correct, but he only knew John's baptism, meaning there's something he did not know about. I don't exactly know what this is, but somehow this guy was taught, I guess some of the things that John the Baptist had been preaching about Jesus and the Messiah, and he's the Lamb of God who's gonna take away the sins of the world or whatever it is he might've understood, but then didn't understand some other thing after John's baptism, maybe regular baptism, maybe the the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but there's something he's missing. So he's teaching about Jesus accurately, although he only knew John's baptism. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue after Priscilla and Aquila heard him that would be two other people two other Christians that were there after Priscilla and Aquila heard him they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately which is kind of like teach right so they were teaching him what were they doing it looks like what's happening is they go oh this guy knows how to teach and then as they're listening to him talk they realize oh he's missing a piece of information he's missing a piece of information that we have what should we do I know. We should pull him aside at some point and give him the information that he's missing. So that's what they did, right? So they explained the way of God to him more accurately. Verse 27 When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers wrote that would be a different region that's to the west of them. The brothers wrote to the disciples, urging them to welcome him. After he arrived, look what happens. He greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures. I have a feeling demonstrating through the scriptures probably means something like teaching. Demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So what happens in this passage? In this passage, you've got a guy who's gifted at teaching, right? He's good at talking. He's got some, he's been taught. He is now teaching others what he's been taught. He's missing a piece, right? There are other people who are able to teach, they noticed he's missing a piece. They said, oh, let me tell you the thing you're missing. So they taught the teacher. And then the teacher got taught by other people who t- teach. And then that teacher taught what? Even better. You see, that's what happened in the passage. They, they taught him the way of God more accurately. And then he became an even better teacher. Isn't that awesome? So teaching seems to be something like giving information to people that improves their relationship with God. Okay, so we got teaching. Now let's move on to the next one exhorting. Okay, so our word exhorting or exhortation or, you know, exhorted or exhorter, like these English words that that we use here, um, if they're translated from a Greek word, the Greek word apparently has a bigger semantic range than the word that's translated to the word teach right? I told you the word that's translated, the word teach, just it means teach like almost all the time. But apparently the word that's translated into our word exhorting has a broader meaning than that. The verb form comes from the Greek. It means to call to one's side, and it is translated into many different words all over the New Testament, depending on the context. Sometimes it's translated exhort, like it is in Romans 12, uh, Rom- yeah, Romans chapter 12, or in Acts chapter 20, it will say Paul exhorted them at great length. There are sometimes where it's translated encourage, in Acts chapter fourteen, it says Paul strengthened the disciples by encouraging um, them to continue in the faith. Right? What was he doing? He was encouraging them to continue in the faith, but it's, he was he was sort of exhorting them to continue in the faith. But in that case, it's translated encourage. And then there, I looked up other ones, other times in the Bible. So sometimes it's translated exhort, sometimes encourage, sometimes appeal, beg, beseech, comfort, implore, plead. And urge, and as you can see, most of those words involve someone trying to get someone else to change their behavior. Do you notice that? Except for the word comfort, almost all of those plead, urge, beseech, appeal, right? Implore. It's someone trying to get someone else to change their behavior. And in fact, all of the commentaries that I consulted this week agreed that while teaching is the passing on of the truth, exhortation is more like trying to get people to obey the truth. Does that make sense? You see the difference? So I wanna to read to you a quote that I found from a guy where he's talking about teaching and exhorting. This is from Matthew Henry's commentary. If you don't know who Matthew Henry is, he was a British like, theologian and pastor back in the 1700s. So what I'm gonna to read to you is 300 years old, so it doesn't sound like the way we talk, but I'm gonna read it to you anyway because this guy says some stuff I think is great as he's talking to his church. So just imagine, in England, 300 years ago, this pastor says this. I'm just gonna jump right into the middle of a sentence. He says, teaching... And exhorting, proper enough to be done by the same person at the same time. And when he does the one, let him mind that. When he does the other, let him do that too as well as he can. If by agreement between the ministers of a congregation this work be divided, either constantly or interchangeably, So that the one teaches and the other exhorts, that is in our modern dialect, one expounds and the other preaches, let each do his work according to the proportion of faith. And then later on he writes, many that are very accurate in teaching may yet be very cold and unskillful in exhorting. And on the contrary, the one requires a clearer head and the other a warmer heart. Now where these gifts are evidently separated, that one excels in the one and the other in the other. It conduces to edification to divide the work accordingly, and whatsoever the work is that we undertake, let us mind it. You get what he's saying? 300 years ago, he's talking to the church, and he says, hey, hey, listen, if you got a guy that can do both, he can teach and exhort at the same time, let him do it, okay? But if you got a guy who can teach and he can't exhort, and you got a guy who can exhort but he can't teach, that's fine, then divide the work, let each guy do what he's good at, right? Right? Now, you want to know why I think that's awesome? Because that's exactly the point of Romans chapter 12. This passage that we learned last week, this this is precisely the point. I'm going to go back and reread it. This is our passage. Romans 12, starting in verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Do you get it? He's saying, let each one do their function. Fantastic. All right, number three, prophecy. Ooh, maybe I should say it the way I was thinking about it this week, prophecy. Okay, so this week we get to prophecy. This gifting, I believe, is the hardest one to explain and I'm gonna explain later why I think it's the hardest one to explain, but let me start off with the easy stuff first. Um, the, the literal meaning of prophecy, I looked this up, I'm able to, you're probably able to do this too if you can read. You can read books by people who are smarter than you. You can read books by people who understand ancient Greek and you know, they're scholars in their field. And so anyway, I'm able to read and find out that the word prophecy, like the literal meaning of it um, in the original language is speaking forth, okay? That's what, a, that's what a prophecy is. It's like when someone prophesies, they are speaking forth. It's a lot like the word proclaim or proclamation. Let me show you some places where you see it Um, in the scripture, or at least forms of these kinds of words. Um, First, we're going to go to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Acts 13, verse 1 says, in the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And then the rest of the verse is the list of the people, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius. So what's happening here, it's saying in a particular congregation, in a particular town called Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. It seems as though prophecy and teaching are being talked about as if they are two different things, just like in Romans chapter 12, right? It's not just there's prophet teachers, there's prophets and teachers as if some of them were prophets, some of them were teachers, they were not the same thing. So apparently whatever it is to prophesy, whatever it means, it is different from teaching. All right, here's the next one. Acts chapter 21, starting in verse eight. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. I want you to notice that verse. They show up at Philip's house. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. That's interesting. First of all, apparently the gift of prophecy was fairly widespread in the sense that it's not like there's just one or two prophets for a nation. There wasn't even just one or two prophets for a city. I mean, in this case, you got four of them in one household, right? Right? And apparently prophesying is something that could be done by young women because that's what we have here, right? I assume that they are young. It says he has four virgin daughters who prophesied. The word virgin there, I'm assuming, like in their culture, I think most of the females got married and I think most of the females got married at younger ages than we marry in our culture. So probably fairly young women, young girls, whatever, young women here, and they are prophesying, all in the same house. Let me show you another one, First Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now this pursue love is coming off of the chapter just before it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. It's very famous for being a chapter in the Bible all about love. But if you read it in context, you can actually see it's not just about love. It's about how love is greater than all the spiritual gifts. That is what he had just said. So he says, pursue love, but then nonetheless, you also are to desire spiritual gifts. Now look at this. And above all, that you may prophesy, right? So he seems to be saying there's a particular gift, and this one's extra important, right? Desire spiritual gifts above all that you could prophesy. And so he starts to compare, and you'll see this in the rest of the chapter if you read the whole chapter. You can actually see it even just in the rest of this little bit I've quoted. He's about to compare prophesying to a different spiritual gift, and he's going to say it's superior. It's more important. It's the better one. it's 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 the one that's above it. Which one is it? It's speaking in tongues. Let me show it to you. He says, and above all that you may prophesy for the person who speaks in another language, that could also be translated speaks in a tongue, okay? For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to God, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation you get what he's saying here? He's saying, so There's this apparently there's this gift speaking in another language. And he says, prophesying is the more important one. It's the bigger one. It's the one that you need to desire above all. Why? And it seems really obvious. If you read the rest of the chapter, it's maybe even more obvious. He says, the reason why is because it's understandable. The person who speaks in tongues can speak in tongues and then someone else is standing there and they go, okay, what was that? What does that mean? How did that help me? Right? So unless it's interpreted, what does that do for you? But he's saying, but prophecy, oh, that does something, Right? The person who prophesies speaks to people, and then it talks about what the prophecies are for, at least in this occasion. The one who prophesies, so he's saying, there's some people who speak in a tongue, and he's not saying that's not, not a thing. He's saying that is a thing, but he's saying, but it's not going to edify and console and encourage the person who doesn't know what they're, what they don't understand what they're hearing, but the person who prophesies. Oh, what is the result? So obviously the word prophesies here means the person is speaking in a language that is the same language as the hearer. Therefore, because it's the same language, there's edification and encouragement and consolation. Edification meaning to build up. Encouragement, interesting, because that's connected to our exhorter word. So it looks like there's some overlap between the gift of prophecy and the gift of exhortation, at least in the sense that they can bring about the same result, that the exhorter can exhort and the result is encouragement, and the prophet can prophesy and the result is encouragement and consolation, So what is prophecy? I mean, it's different than teaching. It can be done by young women, right? It's in the language of the hearer. It's for the edification and encouragement of God's people. Goodness gracious, Mario, what's so hard about that? Just say that. Well, because that's not all. (laughs) That is not all. Um, Many people, when they hear the word prophecy, they do not imagine speaking forth for the edification and consolation and encouragement of another person, right? Most of the time, when someone hears the word prophecy or prophesy, they immediately think what? Predicting the future, right? When you hear someone has a prophecy or someone's prophesying, almost always the first thing that's imagined is the predicting of the future. Well, why is that? Why do people imagine that first? (laughs) There's a very good reason that that comes up in people's minds because that happened a lot of times. There are lots of times that that happened, So I'm going to read you one of the times, Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 28, but just know this is just representative of many times in scripture where this happens. It happens over and over again, but this is one of the occasions, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 27. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. You see? You see? Clearly, Agabus received a message from the Lord in a supernatural way that he was able to predict something that happens before it happens. And that is why a lot of times someone hears prophesy and that's immediately the thing they assume. Is that the thing that you assumed when you first heard it? Yeah, I know, that that's, I know that's the thing that people assume because, well, first of all, there's a, this is a pastor joke. I'll tell you this pastor joke I heard from another pastor. This is the way you're supposed to do it. The, the pastor's talking... And then they start talking about something that's gonna happen like next year, okay? And so they say, this is what I think's gonna happen next year. But they have to admit they don't know for sure what's gonna happen next year. So they say, like, this is what's gonna happen. And then they go, but I'm not a profit, right? In fact, I even work for a nonprofit organization, <laughs> okay? And I mean, it sounds like I'm making fun of that joke, but if delivered correctly, like that can be a real zinger, okay, it's a good, it's a good one. But the reason, that they, the reason that joke works is because they say profit and the assumption is predicts the future. Why? Well, because there's many occasions, Agabus is one of the occasions where he was able to say that a famine was going to come and he, he predicted it before it happened. And that is part of what makes this gift difficult to teach on because that brings up all these questions. Well, wait, so does everyone who has the gift of prophecy predict the future? Or can it just be speaking forth? And what is it that they're speaking forth? Are they speaking forth a message directly from God with his authority, or is it something different than that? And do these miraculous things, like speaking with God's authority or, or predicting something before it happens, do these things happen nowadays, or is that just for way back then? Right? And so, as you may know, people disagree on the answer to those questions. Did you know? Yes, yeah, some people dis. I mean, some, some people disagree angrily, okay? Have you ever have you, have you seen an angry Christian at a Bible study, right? Um, and so maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've been there, and that you, maybe you've lost a friend over this because you had a different opinion, or maybe you were one of the people arguing, or maybe you were in like a community group where you, like two other people were going at it, and you were just like, well, mm, yeah, you know, <laughs> pass me the checks Mix, right? And you just, you watched as they were being Christian, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> You, you've gone to this thing, haven't you? Yes, I've, I've been there too. Okay, so it, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing, right? Um, and then here I am supposed to talk to you all about it. And, you know, hmm, okay, so what I want to do I want to give you four views on prophecy, okay, four different perspectives on prophecy. I'm not even saying these are the four views, I'm just giving you four views that I think cover a lot of ground. And I want to cover them, I want to put them all on a line, okay? So I'm going to cover four views on prophecy, like on a spectrum from most supernatural to least supernatural over here, okay? So you see the line? So let's start with most supernatural, we'll start right here. There are some people, this is a view on prophecy, there are some people who believe that there are prophets who are walking around on the earth nowadays declaring the word of the Lord. They would say in the Old Testament, there were prophets and they were prophesying the Lord, word of the Lord. And in the New Testament, people are prophesying, they're speaking God's words. And to this day, there are people who are speaking the very words of God with his authority. In other words, that there are things that, that they, are say, they say, thus saith the Lord. And then the next things they say are the very words of God and you are to obey them. With because the words are God's word to disobey them is to disobey God because those are the words that He gave. All right, so going over one click from there, there are people who would say, um, prophecy is on. Prophecy still happens nowadays. Okay, but not like that. Okay, that there is prophecy that's still happening nowadays. That it happened in the Old Testament, that it happens in the New Testament time period, which we are still in. So it's not like there's New Testament and then us. There's New Testament and then we're in there. Okay, so that's still till now. From the the founding of the church until now, there has been prophecy. But that prophecy from the founding of the church until now is something that is different than Old Testament prophecy. That it doesn't have the same kind of authority of like when Moses would speak or when Isaiah would speak. That there were times where they would have to evaluate these prophecies. And so I'm gonna give you an example of someone who's in this camp um, his name is Wayne Grudem. You may have heard him. He's fairly famous. He is a theologian and seminary professor, and he's, just, he's a scholar in this field. He wrote a, a systematic theology textbooks that's used, used at seminaries all over the place. Um, he wrote a book on prophecy. And, and I watched an interview with him this week, and this is the way he defined prophecy. Okay? He said, prophecy is reporting something that God brings to mind. He said, it's that simple. To report something that God brings to mind, that's Prophesying, And he would say that that reporting could involve mistakes. The person could misinterpret the, the prophecy. The person could like, not explain correctly that which God brought to their mind. And therefore prophecies, unlike in the Old Testament, have to be evaluated. And some people who are adherents to this view would say prophecies need to be evaluated as alluded to in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 through 21. And that they are not authoritative like scripture and not treated the same way as the book of Isaiah but it's still happening nowadays. So that's that view, all right? Now we'll go one click over to here. This person would say, the supernatural giftings of the New Testament have ceased, okay? That in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you have things like speaking in tongues and miracles and healing and predicting famines before they happen, and that these supernatural gifts were given to the church for a particular reason, and that that reason has passed, that the reason that the supernatural giftings were given was to authenticate something that had yet to be authenticated. And once it was, there was no more need for these authoritative um, like attestation sort of gifts. So the idea being there was a time period in the Roman empire where the Bible did not, wasn't written yet. Like there wasn't a New Testament. There had to be prophets going around declaring the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been inscripturated, right? There wasn't a book that they could all look to. So the idea is, well, there had to be prophecies. In fact, there had to be miraculous goings on in order to um, validate what the apostles were going around and teaching and like essentially what we now call the New Testament and the church being established, that that was necessary at that time. That has now been, that work has been done. And so now that's done, right? And God has said what he has to say right here. But the person that's standing right here would say, but the prophecy is still a spiritual gift. Even if miraculous giftings have ceased, prophecy is still a spiritual gift because prophecy is the word for speaking forth. And so the person standing here would say, no, there's still like when you come across Romans 12 and you look at the gifts, yeah, prophecy is one of them because there are people who are able to take the word of the Lord and apply it to specific situations with great skill because God has gifted them in that way. Not that they're coming up with new revelations of God, but they are just taking what God has revealed and what they see with their eyes and they are, they're good at quoting the verses or paraphrasing the verses and applying them to the exact situation so they can say, this is a sin. Or, hey, we gotta keep going. The Lord says we gotta keep going. The Lord says this is wrong, right? And the people listen because the person is boldly speaking the truth that God has revealed. And then you go one more click this way and you find people who would say, no, no, no. No, 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 no. There's no prophecy. They would say the same thing that this person says. It ceased. There was Old Testament. There was New Testament. Then it was done. And there is nothing happening nowadays that could possibly rightly be called prophecy. Okay? So you got the four views? So there's some disagreement, isn't there? All right? There's different people, different Christians, different types of people that believe different things about this. All right? And then I'm supposed to get up here Right? When I already know, like, you, you're sitting there in your community groups because this, this happens, right? There's somebody who's in this, they're, they're someone who takes this view, and there they are at a Bible study with someone who takes this view, right? And this person says, The Lord gave me a word this week. And this person looks over at them like this Heretic, right? And then this person goes to the same community group as this person, right? And, uh, and, and they're sitting there listening to this person say, God has said what he has to say. He's not saying anything. You thought he said something to you last night. He did not because he don't do that, right? And this person's sitting there going like, unbeliever, you know, Ooh, like ye of little faith, right? And then I get up here, I'm supposed to preach in such a way that I think I'm supposed to, I need to make sure that I boldly declare the truth to you in such a way that is not unnecessarily divisive. Amen. Okay, so so here we go. I'm going to give you my thoughts. Let me start with the one that I think is least likely to be true of the four views. The one that I think is the most problematic, and it would be this one. The reason that this one is worrisome, and I guess let me just start by saying I don't believe this one is true. I don't. I don't think it's happening. I don't think there are people who are going around speaking the word of God with the authority of the Lord in the sense that their words. Carry the weight of God's words. So you obey them just like you obey scripture because they are the words of God coming out of that person's mouth inerrantly. I don't believe that that's happening. I can't prove it. I'm just telling you, I don't believe it. And if I were to believe it, it would require a quite a bit of attestation for me, just like in the New Testament time period where like God was here in a body and there was a resurrection and there were miracles. And so I would say at this point, if there is someone in your life who is saying that their words are the like, authoritative, Like they are the equivalent of the words of God, therefore obey them, because they are speaking God's word. I would say run, okay? Because that, that's like the beginning of a cult. Okay, thanks. All right, so let's go over to this group. I'm imagining there are probably some of you in this room, you're right here, okay? And I would say to you, I get it, okay? I understand. I understand that you probably heard about or maybe have witnessed with your own eyes um, this word prophecy or the word prophesy abused in such a way that you were just like, no. You know, you were part of a church, you were part of a ministry somewhere where everybody every week was like, I got a word from the Lord and oh I've got a word from the Lord. And you're like, that ain't a word from the Lord. Like, you know, someone got up there and said their word of the Lord and you're like, that, that ain't what the Lord sounds like. That's what you sound like. That, but that's not what the Lord sounds like. He didn't say that. And there was enough of that that you started going like, no, no, this isn't the thing. And I would say to you, I, I get that, but but can, can we admit There are people on this planet right now who proclaim the words of God in such a way that you can tell they're gifted at it, and God uses his word out of their mouth in particular situations. Like, can we admit that that's a thing? Yeah. All right, so then that leaves us with the two views in the middle, all right? And I'm not going to take a position on the two views in the middle, (laughs) other than to say this. I will say, first of all, honestly, both of these views make sense to me. I do understand why these people say there was something special happening in the first century that's not happening now. I get that. I also get, I've read these people, I understand what they're saying when they say the gift of prophecy in the New Testament doesn't seem to be treated the same way as the prophets in the Old Testament. It's it's different. It's more widespread. It's less authoritative. It's a different thing. I get that. And so what I'd rather do, rather than taking a position, is I'd rather point out what both of these views can have in common. What if there's something where we, what if we could all be unified? Wouldn't that be neat? So I think the person that's in this category, I'm sure there's plenty of you here. I think you can look to the person that's in this category and say to them, you know what, you're right. I agree with you that people are proclaiming the word of God because they are gifted to do so in particular situations. You see that happening and so do I, I agree with you. The gift of proclamation is happening nowadays. God has gifted people to do that. And I think the person that's in this group can say to these people, I think most of us can say this. I think we can say, of course, there are times where God brings something to someone's mind for them to speak it, for the edification of someone else even if you don't think that, is, that action is called prophecy, because actually a lot of it has to do with what you call it. I have noticed this. Like if you read the literature and listen to the people as they're talking, like I, 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 this week, I noticed Wayne Grudem says, when you speak the things that God brings to your mind, it could be fallible. It needs to be evaluated, like right? Like by scripture, I assume he's saying. Like He's saying that's what it is. And then it's interesting because there was a guy who I was reading just this week. I've researched this this week, in case you ever wonder if I do that before I preach. I do. Um, so I've read books, read articles, listened to like, interviews with pastors. And there was one guy who I'll recommend to you. His name's Tom Schreiner. He's also a respected like, theologian and seminary professor. Um, he writes books and stuff. And he, um, he wrote on Gospel Coalition's website, he wrote an article called Why I Am a Cessationist. And what was interesting is in his... Um, in his article, he talks about the fact that there are times where God, and he, I think he uses the word impress, like God impresses or God causes an impression to happen on a person so that they would do a particular thing. And he, but, and he says, but that's not a prophecy. In fact, I wanna read, this is a quote from the article. He says, God-given impressions aren't prophecies. So you've got Wayne Grudem saying, God puts an impression in your mind, you could get it wrong, but that's a prophecy that God's given you. And Tom Schreiner's saying, that happens, but that's not called prophecy. And what I'm doing is I'm standing back looking at both of them going, hey, isn't it cool that we all agree on something here? Okay, I realize you're calling it a prophecy and you're saying it's not a prophecy, but isn't it neat that God brings things into people's minds so that they would speak it for the edification of someone else? Like we all agree that's a thing. Isn't that great? So... Um, I thought that was encouraging. I wanted to share it with you. So in summary, the three gifts that we've covered today are teaching, exhorting, and prophecy. Teaching, the educating or the explaining of doctrine to people. Exhorting, the urging of people to obey God and follow Jesus and help them do that. And prophecy, some kind of proclaiming of the word of the Lord. So now what I'd like to do is I'd like to end with three applications. I want to, actually, I wanna end the sermon with three exhortations, if you will, okay? Three things I wanna urge you to do. And these are three exhortations to any Christian who speaks. And I purposely am phrasing it that way because I wanna to talk to those of you in this room who maybe have one of the speaking gifts, okay? If you are someone who has the gift of teaching or exhortation or prophecy, I wanna to talk to you. But I purposely am phrasing it. I'm, right now, I'm talking to any Christian who speaks because what I'm about to say to you applies to anybody in this room who is a believer in Jesus Christ and talks ever, okay? This applies to you. So here's the three applications. Number one, be courageous. Number two, be careful. And number three, ask God to help you discern the balance between those two things. Be courageous, be careful, and ask God to help you discern the balance between those two things. I think this is the way we are supposed to use our words, courageously, carefully, in understanding what God wants us to do. So let's start with courageously. The verse that comes to my mind, or like the story that comes to my mind is the one from Acts chapter four. I'm gonna start reading in verse 18. The Sanhedrin has arrested Peter and John at this point and they're talking to them and this is what happens. It says, so they called for them. The they is the Sanhedrin, the, leader, the religious leaders of, uh, in Jerusalem. They called for them. The them is Peter and John and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That was the order. Hey, we are the religious authorities and we tell you, stop talking about Jesus, okay? Talk about other stuff, not Jesus. Now, this would be the same Jesus that they handed over to the Romans a few weeks earlier and had him killed, right? So they now come to his followers and say, quit talking about him. Now, look what they say back. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What courage. That Peter and John are standing there before a group of people, okay, this is, these are the authority figures in Jerusalem, and these are the people who just handed Jesus over to be crucified. These people just had Jesus killed. So in that sense, Peter and John had every reason to worry that these people would harm them, had every reason to be wondering, like, are they going to kill us, Right? And yet they weren't afraid of that. Why? Here's why. Because it's not only true that weeks earlier, this group of people had Jesus killed. (laughs) Three days after that, he was back, right? He came back to life. So they look back at this and they go, okay, yes, this is a little worrisome because we realize you could have us killed just like you had our leader killed. But that didn't stop him. He can undo death. So we're gonna say whatever it is he tells us to say. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. All that applies to you. They are our role models. And so as we speak about Jesus in our lives, I wanna encourage you to be courageous. You serve the resurrected Jesus. We must be unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Okay, number two is be careful. This might sound like a contradiction, but I don't think it is. The Bible not only tells us to be courageous in the way we use our words, we are to be careful. It's not like every word that shoots out of a mouth always does good, right? We gotta be careful with our words. There is a book of the Bible that over and over and over again talks about how you have to be really careful with your words because they can do damage. Anybody wanna guess what it is? Okay, Proverbs, James does say it too. So whoever said that, you get credit. But Proverbs says it over and over and over again. Some people call James the Proverbs of the New Testament, by the way. Isn't that nice bonus? First service, they didn't get that. Okay. Um, Proverbs over and over again, and I, we preached through Proverbs, uh, I think it was three years ago here, and it just, it was hard not to notice how many times over and over and over again it said, be careful with what you say. So I'm gonna read you two Proverbs. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So this is a helpful one, right? Because this is one is not, this one, this proverb is saying words can harm and words can do good, right? It does not just take the position that, like, like for, for, right, this passage does not say words can harm, so don't talk, right? And it doesn't say words can heal, so just say as many as you can, right? No, it's be careful with what you say. There is one who speaks rashly and they hurt people like a piercing sword, but then there are people who use wisdom to build up and heal people. I think there are times in Christians' lives where maybe we go out and we, we think that we're speaking very courageously, but it could very well be that we are speaking rashly and we're just stabbing people rather than bringing healing. Okay, the second proverb I want to read to you is from Proverbs chapter 25. This is verses 11 and 12. It says, a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples on a silver tray. A wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. So anytime you see in the Proverbs where it's talking, saying there is a thing that's like a gold thing, it's saying that's good, right? For something to be like a golden apple or a gold ring or an ornament of gold, that's saying it's a good thing. So what are the good things in this proverb? They are too, it's a word spoken at the right time and a wise correction to a receptive ear. It's interesting that the point of view here, it seems to be, it's, it, the point of view of this proverb does not seem to be words are gold, right? Just, just shoot as many out there as you can. No, no, no. There's, a particular, there's particular kinds of words that are golden. The one that's spoken at the right time and the one that's spoken to the right person. Do you see that? Notice that you've got, it cannot simply be, is this true? I think there are some of us as Christians that we think that's the only thing we need to, to ask ourselves before we say something right? Is this true? And then we think yes, and then blah, blah, it comes out, right? But this passage is saying it's, that's not it, it's the, right? There's, no, th- we also have to ask ourselves, is this the occasion to say it? And is this the person I should be saying it to? All right, the third point, and we'll end with this, ask God to help you discern the balance between these two things. I say that because I, I think there may be some of you who go, well, how in the world can I be courageous and careful at the same time? I think you can. Like, I don't think it's just one or the other, I think you can be courageous and careful at the same time. I don't see where the Bible says, well, you can obey Acts or Proverbs, but never at the same time. So this is one thing that I noticed. I noticed in the life of Paul, back when we preached through his life, that there were times where he would speak, and it seems to me that he was both bold and careful. And I wanna show you a couple examples. There are more than two, but I only had so much time this morning. Let me show you one from Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, how did they say it? Boldly. Okay, so this is not, oh, we're worried about what they might think, and they're not being timid, right? They boldly said it. Now, what'd they say? They said it was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first. The you there was the Jewish people in the synagogue. But since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. So I want you to notice they were courageous. They said words to people that the people that were listening did not want to hear, but they did not keep cramming it down their throat. They moved on to more receptive ears. And this happened multiple times. It happens again in Corinth. I'm gonna skip that one. It happens again in Ephesus. I am gonna read that one. This is Acts 19, starting in verse eight. It says, then he entered the synagogue and spoke, what's the word? Boldly, there it is. He entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly over a period of three months. He didn't even just tell him one time. Multiple times over three months. Engaging in discussion, and trying to persuade them about the things related to the kingdom of God. I don't know if that is teaching, exhortation, or prophesying, but it's it's something like that. Something's going on here. He's trying to persuade them about the things related to the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them and met separately with the disciples, conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Why did he withdraw? I thought he was courageous, right? He is, he's courageous. He tells these people this stuff that they don't even want to hear. But then there comes a point where he says, I'm moving on to the people who will listen to me. I want you to notice that serving God with your words sometimes requires saying something that the person you're talking to does not want to hear. That's okay, you do it anyway. But sometimes serving God with your words requires moving along to a receptive ear. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to, I mean, no, no, you've just, you've given us so much. You've given us your word, you've given us teachers and exhorters and prophets like throughout history and to this day. In the Bible, we have not only like lists of gifts and even like commands about this is how to teach or this is how they exhorted or this is what to do, but we even have stories that illustrate it so we can look at how apollo's taught and we can look at how paul exhorted and you know we can look at how agabus prophesied or the philip's daughters or whatever it may be and we see this stuff talked about we see it illustrated in your word like you have given us so much and sure you did not give us every single possible thing you could have so that none of us would disagree on anything sure there's some things that we don't fully understand and so we come to a point where we go i think it's this and someone else says i think it's this and I get that. I, think that. I get that we're going to have that between now and when you return. But you've made a lot of things so clear. And we thank you for that. I pray that you would help us as a church, as we use our words, help us to be people who are courageous, emboldened by your resurrection, and careful, guided by your wisdom, I pray that the people who lead toward courage, would you make them more careful and the people who lean toward being careful, I pray you'd make them more courageous and you'd make us into the way you want us to be. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for rising again. Thank you for the gospel. It's in your name we pray all this. Amen.